This podcast contains possible spoilers about comic books and adaptations. You've been warned. Hey, everybody. Uh, We're really excited about this particular issue. We are going to be talking about Scott Pilgrim. It's a little bit of a different kind of issue, not about superheroes. It's going to be a really... We are combo keepers. We're here to talk about Scott Pilgrim and stuff. One, two, three, four... Welcome to Comic Book Keepers, where we talk about comic book characters, their history, and their impact on our lives, or whatever. I'm Chris. I'm Lance. And today we're talking about Scott Pilgrim. And joining us is Editor-in-Chief of the Geekly Grind, again, Jeremy Snow. Jeremy, Jeremy. welcome back. Nice to be back, especially to talk about Scott Pilgrim. I'm so excited, you guys. This is going to be a really fun episode and we're really looking forward to this this is one of the ones i'm super geeked out about and uh, i can't wait to get into it so let's start the conversation gentlemen scott pilgrim is a six volume digest size black and white graphic novel uh, by artist and author brian lee o'malley the series title character scott pilgrim is a 23 year old slacker and part-time musician living in toronto ontario playing bass in the band sex babam the series focuses on when Scott falls in love with Ramona Flowers, an American delivery girl, but he must defeat her seven evil exes in order to date her. That's a very broad overview of what this comic <laughs> condensed. And I mean, entails. don't we, haven't we all had to b- battle numerous evil exes for the yeah. one that we love at one point or another? Right? I didn't do twelve. So, so while Jeez, this is 20. not <laughs> while this is not a superhero story. This there is a lot of fantastic super elements to it, and there's a lot of really fun video game and pop culture references and things like that. And we're going to kind of break it down. If you haven't been exposed to Scott Pilgrim, if you haven't seen the movie, if you haven't read any of the comics, we're going to get into a spoiler free and maybe later on we'll get into a little bit of spoilers. But we're going to give you a overview of what Scott Pilgrim is about and why you might be interested in it. So in order to do that, we're going to go into the archives. Not so long ago, in the mysterious land of Ontario, Canada, Brian Lee O'Malley was attending the University of Western Ontario with a focus on film studies. Now, O'Malley dropped out of school prior to graduating and would go on to work for the comic book publisher Oni Press. In 2002, he helped illustrate the miniseries Hopeless Savages Ground Zero, which was written by Jen Van Meter. O'Malley would go on to letter a number of titles with Oni Press and would end up publishing his first graphic novel, Lost at Sea, in 2003, which I suggest listeners look up because the premise for it sounds insane. It has to do with... with, uh, main character thinking that a cat stole their soul i believe <laughs> so it's it's really really far out there and you know if it's coming from a mally it's gonna be entertaining right yeah it's fun it's it's different than scott pilgrim but it's it's that slice of life kind of story with a little twist of warping reality 
As yeah, I mean, they just know what cats have really been doing all this time. I mean, that's stealing true. souls. Stealing souls, 100%. That, that sounds about right. Prior to developing, writing, and illustrating the iconic graphic novel series this entire issue was about, Brian Lee O'Malley was inspired by Canadian band Plumtree and their 1998 single titled, you ready for it? Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim. Which yeah. I had no clue about that at all. Even hey, though... it's the title of the movie. It's like that Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> meme where he like sits up and he's pointing at the TV uh-huh. screen with the whiskey in his hand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, there it is. Which should have made sense to me because I've listened to the Scott Pilgrim <clears throat> soundtrack so many times, but yeah, it just never... Yeah, it just never hit me that, you know, you think like the film might have inspired a song kind of thing, but I had no clue that it came out in 98. O'Malley has said that specifically within this song, the line, I've liked you for a thousand years was the big like motivator for being influenced to develop Scott Pilgrim as a graphic novel. He would also pull inspiration from a number of additional sources, including the Shonen-style comic series Ranma One Half. Being the early 2000s around this time, manga hadn't quite hit mainstream audiences in the United States or in North America in general. And so O'Malley really wanted to utilize that influence, that manga influence, to help create an American or North American graphic novel. All right, can I can I be an old man for a second? Oh gosh, how did I say? <laughs> Let's switch to no, our no, 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 manga that. expert. I just want to tell these kids. How do I reach these kids? Like early two thousands, anime and manga land was a magical time. <laughs> like, like it's it's so staggering almost. Like how much there is accessible now, like through Crunchyroll and stuff like that. Um, and those of us who have been around since the early days of Crunchyroll know that Crunchyroll originally started out as an illegal streaming site. Um, <coughs> yar, there'd be pirates here. Um, but anyway, so yeah, early, early two thousands, uh, like Lance was saying, there's, you know, there was a manga section at Barnes and Noble. It was very, very small. Um, you know, you would, you would go and look for your paraphernalia in, you know, uh, small like hobby shops. They might have a couple of books at the hot topic or whatever. Like it was, it was some up on the street corner. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, kid, you want to buy some manga? Like, that's pretty much <laughs> what it was like um, back then. And you know, forget about like buying, you know, buying anime series and stuff like the DVDs. You'd pay like forty bucks for a handful of episodes on a DVD. Like, it was rough times back then. So that was just me, kind of old man yells at cloud moment. But, um, but yeah, it's it. You can definitely see how uh, the the styling. Uh, obviously heavily borrows from uh, that manga, manga structure um, and helped to kind of breathe some life arguably into the medium uh, because as we all see now, uh, you know, manga obviously has taken off tremendously in the, in the uh, nearly two decades since um, not because, not necessarily because of Scott Pilgrim is my argument here, but you know, that's, that could definitely be seen as one element of it as people became a bit more familiar with um, those influences and wanted to learn more about it. So um, yeah. Anyways. Serves, right. serves as a gateway drug. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And mm. oh man, it that just, I, I worked at Barnes and Noble when I was in high school. So I, I, I organized the manga section, all two section, you know, two bookshelves worth. Nice. Uh, I worked time. at Barter's um, after college. 
Oh, Borders. I We would go there all the time. Like my wife and I would go to the Borders in Santa it Cruz. It had a really good comic section. Yeah, had a good comic section. Had a great cafe. Like oh, they yeah. had the. Did you have a cafe in yours? Yes, we did. Oh, I would. I, I, I learned how to make my chai lattes there. It was great. Ah, oh, that's awesome. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> there was my digression. I, I prob- I'll probably ramble more later about early 2000s because you know i was in high school at the time and in my day in my day i mean i know i know uh uh chris has a couple years on me but um <laughs> but yeah i i think we all we we are kind of in a, a similar range here yes well back from the rant brian's yes. roommate at the time actually gave him a book called even a monkey can draw manga which would help him understand the <laughs> japanese comic book industry in general i need to find this book <laughs> right it, it was supposed to be more of a satirical uh like here's yeah. how you draw manga but it was supposed to be kind of a funny joke to it but brian wanted to merge american and japanese comic manga styles into this really engaging hybrid that hadn't been done before he chose the series to be done in black and white because let's be honest it's cheaper he but he then went on to not just choose it for that reason, but he played with it and he had a lot of the uh, dialogue kind of play off of uh, that black and white type, like with Ramona constantly changing her hair and how in, we'll talk about the film later, but how Ramona's constantly changing hair color, but it's in black and white in the graphic novel originally. So they just kind of play with that. It also comes into play that O'Malley was actually a songwriter and musician. And he would actually go by the alias uh, Kupek, K-U-P-E-K. And some of his Toronto-based bands included Imperial Otter and Honey Deer. His musical interests and background would heavily influence the tone of the series. Volume 1 of the series was released on August 18, 2004 by Oni Press and was titled Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life. With sales in the millions... It's safe to say this hybrid comic was hitting a chord with audiences. This was an interesting. Th- so I, I recently reread it. Um, I picked up the well, well, we'll talk more about like the structure and how you can get the books and everything. But I recently reread through it again. And it's just so like it just kind of oozes this like early 2000s energy, um, which uh, just I, I love again the the references, the type the type font, like the design, um, you know, the panel the panel layout, um, and the I think the 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 hybrid worked really well because it was very self aware. Um, and we might talk about this a little bit more later, but like the self because the self awareness definitely carries over into the movie, right? Um, but you know, talk about like breaking the fourth wall, like there is no fourth wall. Uh, right. Like you are, <laughs> you are there uh, kind of going through um, this, um, this journey with Scott and his friends, like, and they're, they're based, constantly looking out to the reader, addressing the reader almost directly, like, you know, kind of making note of how ridiculous certain situations are, et cetera. And um, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's, it, it's a very unique experience um, and it birthed a, an entirely uh not entirely new but a very dedicated fan base that has brought success to other forms of the medium absolutely i I remember 
exhibiting and going to Comic-Con every year while Scott Pilgrim was coming out and just seeing the types of artists and creators, not just uh, from Oni Press, the same publisher, but from other publishers that were like, oh, yeah, if you like Scott Pilgrim, you'll like this book. It's a slice of life book, but it's kind of crazy. And like everybody was trying to have their Scott Pilgrim, you know, title. And it was really it was just really fun to see that that explosion in like it's not a superhero book, but it's something kind of fun. And this is what people really want. Right. It, it took off in a way that I don't think anybody expected. And it was a combination of the art, the humor, the the honesty. There was slice of life books, but they were too serious in some ways in the early 2000s. And then there was some stuff that was a little too manga y or, or too too kid friendly. And I think this was for adults, but it was also for people that went through that phase of their life. This you know, is yeah, and I think this is what makes Scott Pilgrim really, really successful was that they knew their demographic really mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Like their demographic was basically like, you know, 13 to 17 year old, like maybe a little bit beyond like cl- kind of close to Scott's age. But like their their demographic was like largely this like high school range of kids who might discover the book in the the burgeoning manga section like they are interested and invested in this pop culture side of things, et cetera. And so, you know, they, they knew that and there were elements of the story that, you know, obviously, yeah, the humor definitely uh, would speak to that audience, but not only that, but those moments of emotional affect, the, the longing, the romance, um, the, the fact that Scott's 23 and he's still figuring it out. Um, and like, yeah, he's, you know, he's kind of teased as being a sort of like a loser sometimes, et cetera. But like, basically it was kind of comforting in a way because it's like, Hey, like you might think you turn 18 and like all your problems are solved and like, you're instantly cool. And like, yeah. no problems will ever happen to you. Um, but we're all figuring it out and spoilers. Gonna, yeah. It's not like that. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. It's not, um, you know, you turn 25, 30, you're still figuring it out but you know i think that definitely like on a more on a more approachable scale right because like your parents can be like you know can tell you those things right but you're not going to listen to your parents because they're parents but like you can see this kind of hip cool um accessible comic with characters in this age range like oh man like yeah you know he's 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 trying to communicate and talk about you know how he feels about this thing or that thing and they've had exes before and but they're not letting it get in the way but are they like you know they're having to navigate these like various emotions and situations and um i don't know it just it it was it was really smart it was really smartly written um and i think that's really what helped to engage that group that has so much disposable income right it's not necessarily their 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 disposable income but like you know (laughs) Uh, and I think that's that definitely helped Scott Pilgrim out. Yeah. yeah and we're we're going to get into talking about characters and and, and wh- why they're so appealing in a little bit. But th- it was definitely something that, at least for me, the reason that it stuck out so much as an influential book and why I really identified with it is because it wasn't just it wasn't just about Scott. It's it's in this episode, we're we're talking about an ensemble here. Like there's so many characters that people can identify with, whether it's Kim or knives or Scott or Ramona or 
one of the X's or, you know, yeah. or Wallace. I mean, that there's so many great characters and it's also, I'm going to throw in, be very cliche and say Toronto itself was a character like mm. O'Malley plays such nice uh, homage to the city of Toronto and, and Toronto sort of plays a part and there's really great, like art reference of, of all these very real places um, Lee's palace and, and, and these places that they go to the coffee shops and everything. Um, they're, those are real in Toronto and it has this very lived in, but I could read that and remember places that I grew up in and be like, Oh yeah, th- that there was a place like that in back in Virginia, or there was a place like that in Savannah, or there was a place like that in Northern California. And even though it was specifically Toronto, you, you could identify with that. And I think that's why, it wasn't just that. Plus, people also really liked all the video game stuff and they really liked all of the yeah. music uh, references and, and all the T-shirts. And I mean, there's just there's so many things that even as a non-comic reader, like my wife read this uh, when I was getting into it, I was like, you have to read this. This is really fun. And so she was trying to read it before the movie came out and she really loved it, too, because it was Again, just something that you don't have to enjoy comics to to enjoy this book. Let's go into some specifics about the comic. So Scott specifically has a couple different aliases. Uh, Mostly he's just referred to as Scott or Scott Pilgrim, but uh, the Kata Yanagi twins, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, refer to Scott as Spot Pilgrim. I'm not sure why, but uh, and then Kim specifically, and this was an, an important one in the first volume, refers to Scott as the best fighter in the province. And this is essential because during his first fight with Matthew Patel, one of the seven evil exes, uh, Kim you know, is basically mentioning that Scott has these fighting skills and it's never brought into question like, Oh, what wh- he's a fighter and we haven't really seen him fight previous to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just all of a sudden bursts out these video game style fighting skills and it's everyone's like, yeah, okay, that's fine. And and that's where you get the sense that, okay, this, this world is a little different. Like it's a real world setting, but there's these fantastic elements to it and no one bats an eye. Yeah. And that's where it's really fun. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm with you on this journey. Tell me more. So um, it, it's kind of fun that he has these these weird powers and other people have weird powers. And and it's not just Scott. So there's other people that have certain abilities, which we'll get to. So those are his aliases. Uh, Scott's costumes and I'll talk about costumes in general, but the the visual look and design of everybody's uh, outfits is really cool. Scott specifically kind of has these you know, slacker, young 20 something sort of look. He's got the zero shirt, um, which is a reference to Smashing Pumpkins. Billy Corgan wears a shirt that says zero and they had had a song that was zero. And it also kind of mentions that Scott is not one of the seven evil exes because he is a zero. Hmm. A little insight there. Uh, He also, uh and he also, and because there's other things like, uh, Todd Ingram in the movie is wearing a three shirt, you know, and, and mm-hmm. when, uh, when Gideon, 
spoiler <laughs> when Gideon uh turns into money he gives like seven million seven hundred seventy seven thousand it's it's all about sevens uh, seven. coins yeah they're they're yeah, all they all have the number themes going they all on. have the little number theme yeah which is kind of clever and interesting so Scott has a, a a puffy big winter coat with like a little x-men patch which I thought was kind of fun he also wears like a smashing pumpkin shirt um Ramona has like like Lance was saying, like a really unique visual style. She's always changing her hair. She's always kind of changing her identity. It kind of kind of goes with her personality. It shows she's she's always looking for a home and she's running away at the same time. Um, Knives Chow goes through this con uh, this transformation throughout the comic, where at first she's is this innocent, you know, long haired Catholic school girl, you know. Uh, girlfriend that Scott has and she becomes sort of, I don't want to say mature, but she becomes a badass. Essentially she becomes a really super great character. She dyes her, she dyes her hair. She basically goes through very rapidly all of these, uh, really interesting transformations, like wears a really long scarf and, and pulls out her swords that her dad, you know, taught her how to use and everything. She gets and the highlights punched out of her hair. Yeah. Out, she gets of, her the highlights hair. Punched out of her hair. Uh, yeah. Nice. And Wallace is always dressed really nice. And, and the, the envy Adams is a very like, um, lady Gaga. She's, she's, she's very, yeah, she's very, I don't want to say socialite. She's, she's very hip. And, um, she's the, kind of local celeb and, and everything like that. And so there's, there's a lot of really cool looks. Um, Gideon Graves is a character whose look is, is, you know, this almost business guy, but he's, he's this sort of smarmy, clean, cool, ultra hipster, you know, that you love to hate. So I think the the designs of them were really well done. The setting is only in Toronto Ontario in Canada and it's all about Toronto and and we've mentioned before how how Toronto sort of plays a character itself and O'Malley worked in um, photo reference so he would go in and 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 take pictures of the different places that he grew up and he would kind of redraw that and that's why even though the the art of the characters is is almost uh, hyper exaggerated and these like gigantic eyes and little noses and stuff but then like the backgrounds will be really intricately detailed and down to the point of like, you know, bricks and stuff like that are drawn. And um, so it, it's kind of cool to see that that detail of these these locations that actually exist. Scott's occupations, he doesn't really have one for most of the comic <laughs> series. But uh, later on, when he's growing up a bit, he does get a job as a dishwasher and later as a food prep trainee at the Happy Avocado Vegetarian Restaurant. And you can see everybody, certain people in the comic do have jobs and some don't. Um, you know, Ramona's a delivery person and and Scott's sister is works at the coffee shop that they frequent and things like that. So um, there's there's a lot of you know specifics there. His main affiliation in the book is with Sex Babam, the the band. Um, we'll talk about some of the other bands that he was in in the past a little bit later. Now we're going to talk about the main characters, and then there's some supporting characters. So we kind of broke it up into two different categories here. And then there's even tertiary characters, but we're not going to get into that. There's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So the main characters besides Scott, we've, which we, we talked about 
is Ramona Flowers, Scott's new love interest. She is a new new girlfriend. delivery girl, new girlfriend mm-hmm. for most of the, the most of the crux of the story revolves around Scott fighting off Ramona's evil exes known as the League of Evil Exes. You also have Wallace Wells, Scott's roommate. Uh, and 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 in the book, it, it's often referred to and it's maybe not fly. It might not fly as PC today, but he's often referred to as Scott's gay roommate because he's gay and he's very proudly gay and he doesn't mind showing people that. And um, yeah, I wouldn't say it defines him, but it's definitely a big part of his lifestyle, right? <laughs> it's okay. It doesn't define him, but the book defines him that way. If that yeah. makes sense, uh, every time at every opportunity, it's like you know they they do little like info shots for all the characters and different panels and stuff, and like the fun. I feel like on Scott, more than one gay. occasion. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's totally gay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, fun fact uh, for all the different characters. And they on more than yeah. one occasion, they, the fun fact for Wallace is that he's gay. <laughs> it's like, that's not a fun it, fact. Guys. But I don't like, think it's done. You know it, it's not done in like a derogatory way. It's done no, in sort of no. this like that. That is his, according to Scott, it's kind of like his like, like who he is. But but yeah, but Wallace overcome like he sort of exists on a higher level. Like he's out. He's Scott's conscious. He's like. Remember that guy that you remember the email? Like he's always kind of telling him what to do and he's giving him advice and he's He's way smarter. He's like Scott's Navi. Just tells him the stuff he needs to know. Hey, listen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You should break up with knives, you dirtbag. Yeah. (laughs) He is my favorite character in the movie. That it uh, without He's my favorite character in the books, too. (laughs) He's just great. (laughs) Well, this is great. And you know, you you bring up something just really quick on this. You bring up a good point in terms of like the the frequency at which they reference the fact that he's gay, right? Um, and I think if you look at the time period um, and stuff like that, that that could have been doing work on its own, right? Like again, mm-hmm. early two thousands. Like this is you know this is before gay marriage is legal in the United States. This is still very much a you know like uh, I, I don't know if uh, gay culture is the right phrase but like you know like this is still something that again for the demographic um that it's maybe targeted for would be good to be able to kind of put it in their face and be like hey here is a you know this character is gay and yeah we're going to call it out a lot but also this character is really cool and has some really good things to say and offers value to the story and like blah blah and they're like yeah like like that's that's cool like i want something like that you know that would be something cool to have in my life like why would i want to avoid you know knowing gay people or like you know whatever that is so like it might be a bit of a stretch but i think it is kind of cool kind of reflecting back on it to know that given the timing that focus again isn't Mm -hmm. wasn't a derogatory thing i don't think at all i think it was more like a hey like this is this is going to be something you're going to encounter in your life as an adult right like yeah so you should be able to work through it as an yeah, and and he is not the stereotypical gay best friend. Like he doesn't even really like Scott. <laughs> like he, he's more of <laughs> yeah. he's more of like putting up with him, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like he's annoyed that Scott doesn't pay rent sometimes, and he's basically feeding him. And you know, he has this when they go to the first concert, and he hits on uh, Stacy's friend, sort of date, and ends up like hooking up with him by the end. Stacy Stacy is uh, Scott's sister, and he's like. Wallace, you did it again. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> he basically has seduced this guy. Yeah. It's it's so good. Like it's just it shows that you know he has this 
his this great charm. He has a, ch- he has a charm. Yeah, he, he's a charmer for sure. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's fun. good. Anyway, that's we really like Wallace. Yeah. Uh, next character, another one of my favorites, Knives Chow. So Knives, we've talked about, you know, goes through this transformation uh, visually, but also emotionally and and is arguably one of the you know coolest characters in the book. Um, she starts off as Scott's current girlfriend. And there's a lot of talk in the first book and the second book about, you know, oh, you're dating a high schooler. You need to break it off, especially when he starts off with Ramona and he kind of is dating both of them at the same time. But but Knives is not just a one note, you know, character. She she starts off as this very reserved and they haven't even kissed and then they do kiss. And then she, you know, when she says, I think I'm in love and love sort of oozes out and this kind of cloud spells the word love and yeah and uh and it's it like i've had those moments i don't know about you guys but where you're like oh no yeah <laughs> um <laughs> somebody in a gonna have to let this person down gently <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh no and there's this giant bravely. cloud mm-hmm. in the air and you're like oh gosh but i love her redemption arc i think it's so great and just the emotion that she goes through and and um yeah it's it's awesome she's definitely one of those characters that is wise beyond her years but she doesn't get that way until after a lot of stuff happens she grows from it so quickly and then she's kind of the one telling people the information and it's not even like i want you to be mad at scott it's hey by the way like this kind of crappy thing happened i think you should know about it yeah, she 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 has she's the ultimate fangirl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the sense that she's just super obsessed with Scott and everything and even their terrible band. Yeah. She just loves him and I didn't even know there was good music until like two months ago. <laughs> Witnessing the first practice and her eyes are just oh yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, so it's 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 really fun to see her her arc through the through the book. And let's talk about Sex Babam. Uh, you have Stephen Stills and Kim Pine. Uh, Stephen Stills is the talent, and he is the singer and guitarist, and the one that gets the gigs and everything. And he is uh, a really fun, you know, kind of paranoid character all the time. He's always worried about: are, is the band good enough, and are they going to be able to play, and like, can they do this, and why is Scott not rehearsing, and everything like that. And he's a really fun character, and I think they fleshed him out really well in the movie too. And then Kim Pine is a sarcastic dry humor dry wit you know hates everything I love kind of so much uh, <laughs> she's always and she's the drummer in the band and a former girlfriend of scott they briefly dated in high school there's a little subplot where scott has to kind of realize like he did the some of the same things to kim that some of the evil exes did to ramona and he has to sort of have that part of his redemption arc is he has to make peace with Kim um, because she has this, like, she's not quite over him, but they've sort of made peace or he thinks that everything's fine, but it clearly isn't. And, and I'm glad that in the comic, they really take time to address that. But in the movie, they, they didn't really have time to just because of timing because it's only a movie, but yeah, yeah, it, it, that's one of the great things with the comics. They go into these kind of, other character arcs and and spend time with stuff like that. Um, the last main character, arguably, I don't know if I, it, I've I've seen him lumped in with the main characters as Young Neil, um, and and possibly Envy Adams. So Young Neil is is a fan of the band. He sort of becomes the 
de facto cheerleader and and he's always there and he's always with them at practice and uh he, he ends up filling in for scott when he isn't able to be in the band anymore later he has little moments and then i think he becomes like the redemption boyfriend or the the uh what what do you call it not the rebound the uh rebound. the rebound boyfriend knives. that knives starts dating young neil to make scott jealous when I mean, that doesn't really work so <laughs> and then she realizes that she's kind of being a crappy person by doing that too yeah like, yeah yeah so he's he's there um envy adams is scott's own former girlfriend and she is the lead singer of clash of team and head and she shows up in the third book but she sort of hinted at really early on that scott and uh, was in this serious relationship and it ended badly and then envy kind of went on to become a popular uh, you know rock star in this band and scott you know he he knows her really well and, and mm-hmm. they, they had that they had that moment where he's like, Hey, you know, your name's Natalie. And and she's like, no one's called me that in a while. And, and uh, like, he knows her beyond the fame and, right. and he's probably one of the only people that knows. And and they were in a band together too, in college um, earlier in the life. So, um, and then we also have characters like Stacy Pilgrim, Scott's sister, there's Julie powers, who's sort of the knows everybody, you know, doesn't like Scott at all. <laughs> um, and Steven stills, uh, early girl a uh, uh, girlfriend in early in the books but that i think that changes so um that's the main characters and supporting characters and then we have kind of the big crux of the book and a very unique antagonist which is the league of evil exes so essentially how this works is that every volume introduces well introduces but early on we we find out that scott has to fight these evil exes and so in the first book scott being kind of oblivious he doesn't really read the email that this first evil x is going to attack him and then uh, during this um battle of the bands that they go to uh matthew patel is the first evil x and he kind of flies out and he starts attacking scott and that's when we find out scott has these different video game based abilities and then when scott beats matthew patel uh he turns into um I forget the exact amount like of change, but and 37 cents or something like thank that. Thank you. Exactly. Dude. He's like, Oh, that's not even enough for bus fare. But, yeah. uh, he, At first but, he's like sweet coins. And he's like, yeah, ah. coins, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. he kind of turns into coins and, and it gets more challenging. Each X has their own powers and abilities. And, uh, it's really interesting. So each one of them dated Ramona for, you know, brief amount of time. I think Matthew was only like a week in high school. Mm. Um, then uh, yeah, the cool. second, yeah. you also have uh, Lucas Lee, who's a big movie action star. And uh, Lucas in the comics, I think doesn't even, he's like, Hey, you could bribe me and we don't have to fight. But um, there, there's a, you know, he thinks very highly of himself. And then uh, the third evil X is Todd Ingram, who is the bassist in clash at demon head. So he allegedly has sort of a, a relationship with, Envy, who is, uh, you know, has a former relationship with Scott. So there's beef there as well. And um, vegan powers and vegan powers. Yes, he has vegan powers. Don't mess with that. The fourth evil X is Roxanne Roxy Richter, who is uh, Ramona's college phase uh, girlfriend. (laughs) Who I think that's why we and the comic reference it as a sexy phase. Yes, a sexy face. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the 
Fifth and sixth are Kyle and Ken Katayanagi, who are mm-hmm. twins, who Ramona dated. Let's all say this together. At the, At the same, same time. time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and uh, so that was interesting. And it sort of just hinted at like, okay, they're, they had this relationship and no one really knows, you know, what that was about. So, and then, and then the final evil X is Gideon Graves, who is the leader of the league of evil X's. He is a very successful owner of the chaos theater in New York and is starting a new chaos theater in Toronto. She is, uh, he is the most recent evil X that Ramona had in New York. And presumably the reason after they broke up, she moved to Toronto to kind of get away from Gideon although she does a little side note is she has a cat named Gideon and the reason that you know he finds out Scott finds out about this and he's like hey why did you never cat Gideon and she's like oh it's it's it helps me get over him like <laughs> it's helping me like deal with the breakup and then later Gideon actually has a relationship with Envy He's bringing her in to promote her for her solo career, and she's opening up the Chaos Theater in Toronto. So Envy actually, in the comics, they don't do this in the movies, but in the comics, um, comes back, and he's bringing her back to uh, open it up. So that uh, that creates a whole new level. There's a lot of uh, you know cross connections where mm-hmm. characters that used to date are dating other characters now that we had several volumes ago. So it, it's there's a lot of you know fun drama. Yeah, the, the manga definitely gets into a lot more character development. I love it. And yeah. there there's so many great moments. And and in the film, Envy like Envy kind of ends on a somber note. Yeah. Um, where you're like, oh, maybe she can have some redemption. But in the manga, you actually you see her evolution as a character, which was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's she she's on the cover of the third book i mean she's Mm -hmm. she is the cover of the third book so she's meant to be this prominent character uh but uh, yeah in the movie she definitely gets uh her her character gets uh compressed a lot more but um i love that they based well we'll get into the movie later (laughs) i think next we're going to get into our poll list and uh, the grail finds. So the main, the main thing I had for this, and I wanted to kind of get a a conversation with you two going is basically the color versus the black and white. I mean, there's only six issues of, of the digest, you know, graphic novels and the black and white versions are great. Uh, That's the original. It was kind of how it was designed. You can see the artwork even evolve over the course of the six issues and then the color edition, the first one came out two years later in 2012 and has since concluded. So you can have you have this whole color version. So which one do you guys prefer, the black and white or the color? And do you think there's benefits for somebody reading one versus the other? Well, I'm flipping through mine as we speak. Um, so I got the three volume um color collection um complete color collection mm. uh it's like in a cool like the the lettering is kind of like almost like circus like yeah, um, yeah on the outside of the box it's very bright and colorful yeah i i read the black and white originally long long ago and then 
recently for for this uh decided like hey i'm collecting comics again now uh so well i'm starting to collect comics and I you're welcome my collection thanks lance <laughs> thank you and not thank you i'll be a bachelor soon no um <laughs> but um but anyways yeah I, I picked it back up and i really like it in the color um, it's funny. There are a couple of things that, you know, they, they added in notes afterwards. Uh, mm-hmm. Brian added in notes around like, you know, this, this was, this fun. was funnier, this was funnier in black and white. And white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when she's talking <laughs> about her hair, like because Ramona changes her co- hair color all the time. And that's like a point in the comic that's often referred, right. Is yeah. like, Oh, you changed your hair. Like you changed your hair, blah, blah, blah. And so, but yeah, I, I like the color a lot. I think that um, if you are going to, pick it up you might as well pick it up in color because i think uh o'malley was able to take the money that he made off of his uh unexpected success and then actually publish it properly (laughs) in color (laughs) so i like it i didn't mention this earlier but o'malley thought that his that this series was only going to sell like a thousand issues he he didn't think it would hit as hard as it did but it it hit hard it's that yeah what about you, Lance? Uh, I I would go with the color edition as well. I think I think having the black and white is is great for classic. Or if you're if you're quote unquote purist and you want to have exactly how it was originally intended, you can go with black and white. But for my more ADD brain, color um, keeps my attention a little bit more, and it's 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 fun. And the color edition also has all these notes that are added in, like Jeremy said, like this was funnier in black and white, which I think makes the joke even funnier. It like adds a whole nother layer to it. And also the color editions have all these extras in it in the back as well as uh, scenes that were taken out of the original series. And there's just a lot of notes and character comments and it, it has a lot to offer. So I would go with the color. I don't have the color. I, I was just looking at the color version the first issue on comiXology and I, I will, I will be the devil's advocate and say, I really like the black and white. I mean, that's, that's the one I have. I, I love bonus material and everything, but I think from an artist's perspective, it's really impressive to see what O'Malley did with grayscale and, you know, experimenting with all the action lines, the manga action line style and, and, you know, the, the halftone patterns and everything like that. And, it's really cool just to see that it it feels a little bit more gritty and and I kind of just it, as maybe it's just being an artist, but I, I really appreciate like all the work you have to do to make the characters very distinctive and and make them stand out. And from a line work and and balance perspective, it's 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 really cool. And I think color definitely helps, and it makes it bright and vibrant, and it helps sell Toronto a little bit more and everything. But and um, show Ramona's hair and everything like that. But uh, yeah, I think from a, you know, like I, I, I was kind of thinking about like, what are other really cool black and white comics that if they were in color, it would almost deter it. Like, like Sin City has to be black and white, you know, um, Batman black and white, because it, it's, it's done in a way where it, it should be appreciated in this almost noir style. And I think, Scott Pilgrim in, in its original form was done as a, 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 you know, an appreciation towards that style, 
like you said, of, of manga digest books. So I kind of like it like that. I, I probably would love it in color too, to be honest. <laughs> but I like but I, mine. so basically what we're saying is buy both. <laughs> buy both, both and make sets. your decision. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> buy both. Sets. For sure. Um, so how about uh for, for Grail Finds? Uh I have some Grail Finds kind of in the Scott Pilgrim universe, but um, do you guys have anything that you want to share? I have the uh, steel book for the movie. Okay. But, uh, that's, that's about it. What you got, Jeremy? That's I, fun. I have the collection that I just recently repurchased. All right. I haven't had a chance to, to meet uh, O'Malley yet. Um, I would love to once, uh, we're past this COVID season and everything. It'd be great if, if he went back onto the circuit for some of the other work that he's doing. Uh, and I think with the game coming back out, uh, which we'll talk about here in a minute, um, w- hopefully he'll there will be a resurgence of the comic and maybe he'll have a reason to go and hit the com- uh, convention circuit. Honestly, I think a lot of the people who normally, like the creators who are normally like, eh, I don't want to go to Comic-Con or whatever, like people who are like burnt out and didn't want to go to cons anymore are like, I'm going to go to every freaking con that I can next year. <laughs> um, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if the, if the guest lists uh, are, are a bit more unique uh, in the coming year, but that's true. It should be, it should be fun. But yeah. So uh, this is probably one of the first ones where I have a cool grail find and Lance doesn't. So I'm very proud. Hey, <laughs> you have a problem. Okay. Dang. Uh, no, I mean like you always have the, the really cool signature, like, Oh yeah, I got this signed by Stan Lee. I got this signed by yeah. like, you do. You okay. have an eight, you have a Spider-Man 300 signed by Stan Lee. <laughs> Lance, so you can and, just- and, and I'm not, I mean, and you're going to have more going forward when we talk about other characters, but this is my, this is my time. <laughs> this is my you. So I have a couple things. I have uh, a poster that was a, un- a unique Comic-Con exclusive poster that they sold at the Oni booth that I got signed by Brian Lee O'Malley. It's a cool drawing done by him that is in color. It's actually hanging up behind me. It's got the Oni Press logo. It's it's done in sort of almost like a 70s movie poster. Oh, that's cool. It says Scott Pilgrim and it has the characters. And um, I also have three of the books because I didn't get into it until after it, like the third book had already come out. So uh, the the book four five and six, I bought at Comic-Con every year because I I wanted, because he was usually there and I got him to sign it. Um, So I have the last three volumes signed by him. And, uh, and the other, the other kind of thing I I put in my grail find, it's, it's a nice personal thing because in 2010, um, we went to Comic-Con with my fiance and who's now my wife. And, and um, that was the year that we got married. And uh, Comic-Con had this Scott Pilgrim experience in downtown San Diego. And you guys might remember that. And it was this little thing that you went through and you got to sign, you know, a wall that had the pictures of people in the movie. And they had this little, this cool thing where you could make a flip book and they would take a series of really fast pictures and you, you could do it for like, I think it was 10 seconds and they printed them out really quickly and bound it and cut it. And you got two copies of this little like two inch by one inch flip book. <laughs> and so it was uh, my wife and I kind of like fighting Scott Pilgrim style against each other. And she, you know, does a little fake kick and I fall down and she's like, woohoo. And, and we still have the flip book and it, it's just this cool keepsake of, of this Scott Pilgrim experience. But I have it on my on my wall with the graphic novels and it's, it's just a fun, 
a fun thing. And, uh, you know, I, if anybody went through the Scott Pilgrim experience, you'll remember that, but it's, uh, it, it just, you know, it's always something I'll remember because of that. That's, That's awesome. awesome. A really cool grail. Yeah. Well done. All right. We're going to take a little break and we'll come back, uh, after, um, after these messages, I almost say after, after these, mes- these messages, we'll be right, <laughs> we'll be right back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be right back after we take a little break. Hey everyone, thanks again for tuning in to Comic Book Keepers. Jeremy here with the Geekly Grind. I uh, wanted to make sure that you were aware of our broader Geekly Grind podcast network, uh, which consists of this wonderful show, of course, Comic Book Keepers, one of our one of our pillars, one of our cornerstones. Uh, yeah, we're a what... pillar! <laughs> Shut up, Chris! Uh, <laughs> I have <Sorry>. value. <laughs> like, shove you under the desk. Um, in addition to uh, this podcast, of course, we have uh, Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, uh, which is, features two episodes weekly, uh, one on Monday, which is their weekly jump, and Friday is their uh, usual uh, conversation where they chat about uh, anime and manga that they're keeping up with. Uh, the Monday is the more uh, recent current stuff, uh, and Friday is more just general conversation, watching shows and kind of summarizing them, etc. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Chris, uh, there's a show called Nights of the Roll Table. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know, a bunch of nerds. Anyways, uh, it's a, a wonderful uh, audio drama of D and D with Chris and his friends uh, as they go through uh, various Dungeons and Dragons adventures together and have a lot of fun doing it. And what's really important and really cool is that it's family friendly. So awesome. Uh, but yes, if you love comic book keepers, chances are you will love uh, Blake and Spencer get jumped, and you will also enjoy Knights of the World Table. So keep an eye out for Geekly Grind podcast shows and thanks again for tuning in. You know, the best way to support comic book keepers is to leave a rating and review and a five-star rating goes a very long way on Apple podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast networks. And a review about what you liked in each episode does so much more. So we hope you enjoy the show as we, as much as we love making it. So thank you again for listening. And if you do leave a review, thanks so much. You can find us on social media on Twitter at CBKCast and on Instagram also at CBKCast. Comic Book Keepers is hosted by The Geekly Grind. Stop by The Geekly Grind for all things geeky from comics, anime, and manga to board games, video games, RPGs, and more. Take a break from your weekly grind at The Geekly Grind. And don't forget to check out the composer of our theme song, Arcane Anthems. Our good friend Weston makes royalty-free music for tabletop role-playing games, campaigns, streams, and podcasts. He also just happens to join Chris on Knights of the Rolled Table. Check out his amazing work at Arcane Anthem on Twitter, TikTok, as well as downloading all of his free available music on his Patreon, at Arcane Anthems. Let's get back to the issue. You know Pac-Man? I know of him. Well, Pac-Man was originally called Puck-Man. They changed it because, uh, not because Pac-Man looks like a hockey puck. Paku-Paku means flap your mouth. And that they were 
worried people would change, scratch out the P, turn it into an F, like. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Uh, am I dreaming? I'll leave you alone forever now. Thanks. All right, you guys, we should talk about the adaptations. Yes. That Scott Pilgrim yeah, has had. And there's some, <laughs> some very key things. And I think some people are listening to this because they know about the movie more than the comic. And and it's interesting that Jeremy, you mentioned earlier before we started is this was kind of like a cult comic that really blew up. And the movie almost had its own life of a cult movie that really blew up. And some people that really loved the comic saw the movie and some people that really love the movie got into the comic. And there's also a video game. And that has its own life that we're going to talk about. So we'll kind of break it down into these different sections. So the, first of all, let's talk about the movie. When the movie was announced, a lot of people were really excited because of a couple things that had an incredible cast. Once they started announcing who was in this cast, up and coming actors that were really fun and had not really broken out in their own vein. But it's fun to reflect on the cast and the director 10 years later because it is an amazing um, cast imagine how much money they would have had to pay these people now yeah there is this I movie would never have been made there is no movie is made with it's, this it's, group now it's insane it, th- like, this this is the like saint elmo's fire of great breakfast <laughs> club this <laughs> is the 2000s. or what's the other one um there's another one from like the 80s or whatever that has like triple a actors but when it was like their first one i need to list off some of these people real quick just so everyone gets an idea so we have michael Sarah, mary Scott elizabeth Pilgrim. winstead ramona kieran colkin uh, wallace mm-hmm. anna kendrick that's uh stacy pilgrim yep allison pill she's kim she plays kim pine aubrey plaza is julie powers jason schwartzman gideon graves right. and then who plays envy <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Who's NV? Brie NV Larson. Is Brie, Larson. Brie Larson. Holy yeah. crap. Like, yeah, Captain this, Marvel. This cast is absolutely. Oh, uh, we didn't even mention, after all of those, who didn't we mention? Chris Evans. Who's uh-huh. Lucas yeah. Lee? Chris Evans, Lucas Lee, Jason. Well, we mentioned Jason Schwartzman, uh, but Brandon Routh, uh, you know, yes. this is Second after Superman. Superman is in this. <laughs> is in this. We didn't even mention um, Mae Whitman. Who is, yeah, Mae Whitman is, is a fantastic is, is actress. Roxy. But her yeah. voice um, acting is some of my favorites. Like, and yeah. also all of the she voices. She was also really good in Parenthood. Anyway, yeah. All of the uh, the announcing voices in the movie when it's like, you know, fight and, and you know, the power of whatever. That's Bill Hader. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. no, Which I didn't know until I researched this. I was I, like, oh, that's cool. I, I literally just scrolled all the way to the end of IMDb and it said Bill Hader. I'm like, wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. So, it, the, so the cast cool. is insane. Well, in addition to that, the director, Edgar Wright, who's famous for movies like Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, World's End, Baby Driver. This is probably one of the most Edgar Wright movies mm-hmm. that you can watch. Yes. And it, it, if, if people didn't watch it because of the cast, they might watch it because of the director. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. This this is in my top three favorite films of yeah. all time. I'm not talking comic book films. Because the Lord of the Rings trilogy counts as one movie. Yeah, I, I think there's it, no it, way it can count as separate movies. The trilogy counts as one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's how we're yeah. playing it. One. Oh, that's. That's just an epic. Yeah. 
but yeah, it's like, a, the the style of Edgar Wright with quick whip pans and and super fast the, editing. The editing in this movie is super the, impressive. The transition, and I am the transition off that it didn't genius. win. Yeah, I didn't win. You see a girl that looks like this? Oh, yeah, the Ramona Flax. It was so Every time, um, every time that that scene makes me laugh when he has a little, (laughs) yeah, yeah, he has like a little black Sharpie. Tell me everything about her. And blue scribbles on the top. And that's it. And he's just like, (laughs) do you know who this girl is? Oh, yeah, it's Ramona Flowers. Tell me everything. My my favorite cut is when, (laughs) it's when Ramona opens oh knives opens the door to their apartment and wallace open or wallace opens the door and he's like oh scott <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> scott jumps out the window yeah, he <laughs> and wallace is like he just he just yeah. left and then, <laughs> and then scott reaches back inside to grab his jacket <laughs> yeah. I, it's so good I, I mean there's so many like sight gags and so funny like, like quick editing that's done in this mm-hmm. um and there's a lot of stuff that's that's pulled yeah, like straight the, out of the, the dialogue that's directly from right from the mm-hmm. comic, like lines. I'm like, I remember when they said this. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of changing up who says what line it in that's completely true. different times of the film and the storyline, but it's it's done like with the same heart and intent as the the manga comic intended it to be, which makes right. it even more. I mm-hmm. I saw the film before I read the comic and I'm oh, glad you're one of those. Yes, I am. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad I did it that way just because yeah. I appreciate and love both so much and seeing how the film was, I first, I get to see without like, without this idea of like, I really hope they make this perfect adaptation. And so what, having read the comic afterwards, I can see, Oh wow. They, they completely changed how this was done in the film because you have to, like we talked about it already. It's six volumes of like a digest sized, like it's thicker issues. You can't throw every single line the exact same way into a film. Yeah. But yeah. the way it, it was, was adapted yeah, was so, brilliant. So good. The, the lines from the comic going into the movie, um, the one that I, I always thought was great was you were talking about how like they still have that same intent and impact and stuff. Like when Kim uh, calls Scott, the salt of the earth. And then she was like, Oh wait, no, I meant the scum of the earth. Like that, like that is just so perfect. Like in that, in the comic that happens much later in the story than it does in the movie. It's like one of the first things you hear in the movie, but it helps to kind of establish Kim's character very quickly. Um, And yeah, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's brilliant the way that they, they made that transition. So safe to say the movie's real, real good. It's really good. The box office did not do well with this movie, and it was considered a, I don't want to say a bomb, but I mean, it just it didn't really bomb. do well. Um, it, it made $48 million, um, It was, uh, but it, the budget was 85 so it actually kind of lost some money. Um, however, the uh, IMDb rating is 7.5 out of 10. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it an 82. So, I mean, and 90% of people you know, on Google like this movie. So, I mean, it's, it it's definitely 100%. a cult favorite, you know, it's, it doesn't need a hundred percent. And I think it, it takes on a life of its own and, and you can see because of the cast is so loaded with really talented actors kind of in their, you know, before they had their big breakouts, people like Anna Kendrick and Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Michael Sarah and Schwartzman is in this and Chris Evans before he super blew up, you know? So, I mean, there's so many, um, Brie Larson, you know, there's so many, 
great people that they're having fun with stuff. That leads us into the soundtrack of the movie, which uh, which the comic, you can't really have a soundtrack, even though it's really so intrinsic about music because Scott's in a band and, and Sex Bob-omb and everything. But you, you kind of lose that side of it. So the really fun thing about the movie is that they had to make the music. They had to have the bands. They had to have not just Sex Bob-omb, but they had to have uh, Crash and the Boys and they had to have the katanyanagi twins and they had to have all the different music that plays into it and plus the soundtrack itself you know had to be very um you know it had to be have that garage band feel to it and music that influenced the making of the comic right from brian Lee O'Malley, kind of saying hey this is the music that you know is, is it's very canadian it's very toronto um you have plum tree with the the song scott pilgrim uh metric uh is a great band that I love that I was really psyched to get into. And then they did the song that clash of demon head did black sheep mm-hmm. um, and envy Adams look in the movie that, that uh, Brie Larson takes is kind of modeled after the lead singer of metric. Um, and that's, it's, it's one of my favorite bands. It's an amazing song too. I've listened yeah, to black it. Sheep I listened so to it on good. repeat. And then you have, you know, silly songs like I'm So Sad, Very, Very Sad, which is 12 seconds, <laughs> Crash and the Boys. Uh, and then all of the music from Sex Bob was written by Beck. So it's it's got this really fun, grungy kind of like, you know, late 90s feel to it. And the distortion is there and you can definitely Garbage feel truck. that. And Ramona, which is the I, I especially like. The acoustic version of Ramona mm-hmm. that Beck sings is one of my favorite. It almost has this sort of Lou Reed feel to it, but it's 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 really cool. Like just to to have this music play in the background if you're reading the comic. And it sounds cheesy, but like you know, try it out. And there, there's some stuff in here that you know you have things that are references to other things and and, and music that influence the making of the comic and the making of the movie, but. Um, there's some really fun stuff. Plus, there's some cool um, 8-bit music versions of some of the Sex Bob-omb songs, which I definitely recommend. So I, I really love the soundtrack. It's It was it was definitely on heavy rotation when it came out. Yeah, the, the movie is definitely elevated by the music and the soundtrack is a blast to listen to. For sure. So the next adaptation is we're going to talk about is the video game. So because Scott Pilgrim was the fights in it were very influenced by video games and you know, Nintendo and Sega games of the eighties and nineties. Of course there had to be a video game. And of course it had to be done in this sort of eight bit, 16 bit graphic kind of style where it was a version of the style of the, of the, I don't even want to say it was, it's not a direct adaptation of the comic style. It's almost like they took, the style of the comics and they turned it into a 16 bit. It's yeah, it, it's, it's a classic scene. <laughs> yeah. It's a classic side scrolling beat up. And yeah, it's, it's sort of like 
freaking good. Like it's sort of like double dragon. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's double dragon with, with, uh, with Scott like with, characters with like, um, with like a little bit of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle arcade game. Mm-hmm. Cause you can like fight all at the same time. Mm-hmm. You can have up to four players. Um, it's, it's, it's really, it's really fun, really good. And, um, like the, we've been talking about, you know, the, the recurring theme here is like just really good music and, and good sound and everything. And the game is no different. Um, mm-hmm. the game soundtrack is superb. Uh, the sound design is phenomenal. Um, you know, the, just not just the soundtrack, but also like just the sounds, the punches and the kicks and just that, that retro feel. Um, so it got rave reviews. Like the game is, again very very popular um and had that kind of cult following to it once again um and it's funny because um brian Lee o'malley recently was on twitter a few months ago um kind of dropping some hints about something that might could be happening after people Ooh. raised a stink do uh, tell well because <laughs> people were kind of um, chatting about ubisoft because ubisoft uh, originally published um the scott pilgrim game and then it just kind of like phased out, phased out of existence. Um, and so people were just kind of clamoring it for it to come to the new uh, consoles and to be re-released so that we could play it again. And, you know, basically, uh, I think it started with O'Malley kind of being like, hey, if you really want this game, like you've got to you've got to talk to Ubisoft about it. Like, I can't do anything about it. Right. Um, and people did. And people got really loud about it. And yeah. <laughs> uh, and then. And then he's like, you guys are crazy, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, hey, I think you might want to tune in. Ubisoft had like a press conference thing, you know, when people were announcing their games and everything for the holiday season. And at Ubisoft's event, they announced that the Scott Pilgrim game was coming to the Switch in holiday 2020. Oh, yeah. snap. Yeah. Well, not it's just Switch. Going down. <laughs> but it's, yeah, Switch and it's uh, the 10th anniversary yeah. and of, uh, of Scott Pilgrim versus the world, the game, the complete edition. Yeah. And it's scheduled to be released on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, PC, and Stadia holiday 2020. Moving on. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, <laughs> um, there's also Scott Pilgrim versus the animation. This was something that aired in 2010, kind of with the hype of the movie. But they actually did some little short animated cartoons. Uh, each episode is about four minutes. It's almost like a motion comic. It's not like full animation, but there's enough animation to make it kind of fun. Uh, it originally aired on Adult Swim, but you can find it on YouTube if you just Google search Scott Pilgrim versus the animation. And it has a lot of the cast from the movie. Michael uh, Sarah comes back and voices Scott. And and one of the, the I think it's the first episode of a uh, little, little episode. It, it shows it's a flashback and it shows Scott in high school and it's when he first comes to Toronto, I think, and or some city in Canada, and he meets Lisa Miller, who's uh, who become he becomes friends with, and he forms a band with her and Kim. Uh, and then later in the comic, you actually see Lisa come back, and and it's later in the comic, I think it's in volume four, um, and there's some kind of tension, sexual tension between her because there was like oh they know each other and stuff like that but this is it's kind of cool in the animation because you you see that because she she moves to california to get into acting but um it's uh but she never appears in the movie so it's it's just i think they mention her once but um that's kind of cool if you're really into the comic and you're like oh i want to see more about you know fleshed out stuff they they kind of play with uh stuff that happens before the movie and stuff that happens later um so yeah it's 
it's it's it's kind of neat to see these little little short animations and with the with the voice of the of the uh, movie cast awesome. uh there was also a card game uh it's kind of a board game um that that renegade um the publisher put out um i bought it it's it, the mechanics are a little clunky but it's it's kind of fun to see all the references and it's it's basically like a multiplayer everybody's trying to fight the evil exes and everything uh scott pilgrim versus the world had a cast reunion table read that they did on uh with through entertainment weekly and you can find it on youtube all you have to do is look up scott pilgrim versus the world cast reunion entertainment weekly it'll pop up they did it back in july of 2020 and it was insanely fun the majority of the cast came back to do it including chris evans and and Anna Kendrick and Aubrey Plaza, they were all there. The only, I think one of the only major uh, people missing was Brie, Brie Larson. Larson. Yeah. But even Brian O'Malley was there and he was drawing during the read. And then they auctioned off the, that art for charity. Well, and Edgar Wright was there reading yeah. uh, uh-huh. stage directions. Mm-hmm. And then, and then there was somebody else that was there that was doing like, uh, like other voices yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, God, it was yeah it's definitely a lot of fun it's it's if you're a fan of the movie or just the characters it's really fun uh-huh. to see because like and and they played the music yes. and you can like in the music scenes like whenever there's music and, and everybody's like rocking out and everything like mm-hmm. that so and, you can see how much they they all love mm-hmm. the the movie and, and, and like how and then fun michael sarah played ramona and oh, like nice. saying it too and yeah it's it's a blast. And my, one of my favorite parts was Aubrey Plaza. She actually made like a little like popsicle stick black square at the top. So every time she was going to cuss, she would cover her mouth with it like it does in the movie. <laughs> it's so funny. Everyone and everyone's That's dying great. and having a blast during it. It's if you're a fan of the film, you'll absolutely love this reunion. That's a good pull. Yeah. So a lot of fun stuff. Um, you know, you can continue to enjoy the Scott Pilgrim universe. And next up, we have our what if segment. What, what if? if? Each issue we do what nerds do best. We take that idea that we're working on that week, that comic, and we expound on it. We use our fever dream concepts to kind of warp what we are thinking about or talking about. This week, since we're talking about Scott Pilgrim and with the very heavy music and video game element that's put together for it, we wanted to create a band uh, name or we wanted to create a band that's name was based on a video game as well as choosing the title of a song. Because within the film, uh, Sex Bob-omb is based off of Mario Brothers, Clash of Demon Head. Is, there's literally an NES game called Clash of Demon Head. You have Scott's uh, first band in high school with Kim Pine is called Sonic and Knuckles. Uh, Crash and the Boys, there's NES game Crash, No the Boys. Like, it just keeps going. There's so many of them that are that are a part of, like, within this uh, comic that so many elements are tied to music and to games. So what we had to do, so we had to create a band based off a video game as well as making a song. So that would fit in the Scott Pilgrim universe. That would, that would kind of yeah, make exactly. sense. Mm-hmm. That would fit in this universe. So Jeremy, you're our guest. So let's have you go first. <laughs> okay. Well, in the spirit of, uh, of sex, bomb, uh, I went with the blue bombers based on Mega Man. Solid, mm. solid choice. 
I am a Mega Man fanatic. Um, and I, I had a couple of songs um, on like the, you know, now this is what I call music inspired playlist kind of. Um, so uh, I had I Know Your Weakness, uh, mm-hmm. Jumping and Shooting. Seeing the light, like after uh-huh. Dr. Light, and then sure. let, let me be your robot master. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know. I, d- <laughs> I don't know what genre of music this this band is. Uh, uh, bluegrass. Uh, it's bluegrass. definitely bluegrass. <laughs> it, it's very Mumford and Sons. <laughs> no. Um, I can hear yeah, the banjos now. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad that uh, that last one was a uh, that that struck a chord with you guys. Yeah, um, jumping and shooting, I think, would be definitely the title of the album for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, jumping and shooting by the Blue Bombers. <laughs> Done. I feel like that's already uh, a real thing. All right, Chris. it probably is. All right, Chris, I apologize. Up. You go. Any uh-huh. copyrights I broke. You're going next. I'm going next. Yeah. Okay. So my band is called Dragoon's Lair. It's based mm-hmm. off of Legend of Dragoon. And my song is called Where's My Remake? Give Me My Remake. How did that get remade before me? Give it to me now. <laughs> hey, Lance, do you want Legend of Dragoon to be remade or something? Just just a little bit. <laughs> I swear to God, every time we get together, like, you're talking about it. <laughs> yes. How has this game not been remade? It occupies its every waking moment. <laughs> it, Lance, it, I have it on good authority there, remaking it for the PS5. Really? No. I hate you so much. <laughs> oh, oh, that was so sick. But, that was so mean. But maybe if we think hard enough, it'll manifest itself. Maybe if we write to Ubisoft. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Ubisoft doesn't own Legend of Dragoon. Well, I mean, you I know, mean, they but could, it I guess. I don't know. I don't know who has more money. Uh, All right. I, I had two because I don't follow the rule, my own rules. Um, so I have one that's just called Bionic Commando because <laughs> that was a game I really liked on the NES that called Bionic Commando. And the song would be retractable long metal arm with a grappling hand. Yep. <laughs> Why? Why is that the name of the song? Because that's what the Bionic Commando had. He had an arm that, that yeah, stretched out and he became a grappling hand. Clever about it. <laughs> I thought well, you were going to come that's... up with something like. Okay. Well, the, uh, the, yeah. the second one is more clever. Okay. 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 Good. So the, the second band would be called Mother Brain. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Let's see where and you're going here. the song is surprise parentheses. I'm a girl. Uh, <laughs> I remember the first time Samus died in Super Metroid. And I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Uh-huh. Everything's changed. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, excellent. Yeah, I love the idea of a band called Mother Brain. Like, we are Mother yeah. Brain. We are Mother Brain. We are it like a metal like band. Motor, like it sounds a, like Motorhead. It's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. definitely a metal band for yeah. sure. It, or we it'd are be Mother like, Brain. It'd be like <laughs> new metal. It'd be like, uh, yeah, it'd be like one of those terrible new metal bands. But <laughs> Mother Brain. Yeah. Wow. There's a, wow, there's a, there's some new metal fans out there that are going to be very mad at you. <laughs> I don't think... Listen, I like new metal. I like some new metal, okay. and uh-huh. I have nothing against new metal fans. <laughs> My best friend, the new girl. metal fans. <laughs> Did you? Uh, I don't think new metal fans are going to be listening to our podcast. And if and if you if you are a new metal fan, you listen to the pod. If you are a new metal fan and you listen to the podcast, uh, let us know in the reviews what what kind of uh, what kind of <laughs> let us. Fan oh, they'll let you know in the reviews. Think. Oh man, uh, one star review what, incoming. In 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 your in our Twitter uh, at CBK Cast, let us know if you have a 
band name or a, a song that you think would fit into the Scott Pilgrim universe um, by using the hashtag um, Scott Pilgrim band names <laughs> or just, yeah, just let us know. Um, yeah. I think that's, I think that kind of wraps it up on Scott Pilgrim. You guys, what do you think of any last parting? But uh, that, I was so glad. Thank you guys for inviting me onto this episode. When you guys were like, Oh yeah, I think we're going to talk about Scott Pilgrim. I'm like, when, where? And I that's immediately tell me now, tell me now, <laughs> <laughs> tell me everything. This is definitely one of my favorite comics. And I'm, I encourage anybody that, you know, even if you're not into comics and you're listening to this and you're like, what is this hype about Scott Pilgrim? Give it a try. It's definitely something that it, it was one of those kind of cultural moments on a small scale that it was really fun to see all these other people exposed to a comic that I love. Take Pokemon Go. Take the summer of Pokemon Go. OK, reduce it down to a <laughs> smaller manga comic experience and that's yeah. that's scott pilgrim well i mean it was one of those books like i mean it was printed by oni press right yeah and, and this is this is not marvel this is not dc this is this is a smaller a smaller publisher mm-hmm. and they hadn't really had huge hits before and this just blew up and it's not the fact that it blew up that mesa special it's the fact that this was a a tale from the heart it was a slice of life book that had like a lot of fun funny moments and stuff we've talked about but it it resonated with so many people and just kind of end with this that that's what makes it special it's not the fact that it had a movie and it had a game and everything like that it's the original uh impetus for making this comic and and the fact that it was a very indie comic that happened to become very big but um you can really tell in in the reading of it and in the you know the original comic series just that it's it has a lot of heart and it's about relationships and it's about you know giving people second chances and and especially with scott you know who is not a terrible likable character let's be honest Mm -hmm. Um, but he has a great character in comics history because he has this excellent redemption arc He, he he learns about his faults and what he did wrong and he has to make that decision of you know, am I going to change or am I going to be evil essentially? Yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 and I think that's what, you know, when it all comes down to it after all the video game stuff and the references and the music and everything, it, it, it comes down to like, this is a really cool, just fun relationship story. And, and that's why I love it. I, I, I think it's, uh, it's definitely worth a read. If you haven't, if you're not in a, if you're not into superhero comics, this is probably one of the first ones I would recommend. Mm-hmm. And and just to add on to all of that, I would I would say if if you've only seen the film, you absolutely need to read the comic just because there's so many elements of it that get a lot more expounded on a lot more relationships. It's it's even deeper, I feel, than like the film is able to show um, the the redemption arc that Chris just mentioned is is really um, amazing to to witness and and see Scott interact with all those past relationships and how he's treated them. He, he comes to that realization that he needs to overall be a better person and really consider other people. And I think that's a a pretty good message to share. Yeah. Yeah. And if you thought he was kind of a jerk in the movie, like give, give the comic a try because it, it, it fleshes him out a lot more. Yeah, it definitely does. And I mean, like the comic Scott, you know, like, uh, a total of probably a thousand 
uh, probably over a thousand pages. Um, you know, uh, and you know, it, it, yeah, watching the movie, if you've just seen the movie, there is so much more uh, to uncover in the, yeah. in the, in the comic, you know, it's kind of like comparing the Akira movie to the Akira manga. Um, right. those of you who've seen the six massive tomes that go into the original Akira arc. Um, but yeah, there's, there's tons there. And, and I think that, you know, we talk, you know, on comic book keepers, you guys do such a great job, you know, talking about like the impact of this story. And I think Chris, you, you summarized it really well. Like it's, there, yeah, there are some fantastical things that happen in Scott Pilgrim, but they're they're backdrops, right? They're they're set pieces to the the work that Scott's doing to be a better person, right? Um, and the the journeys that the people around him are going on too, as well. Um, and I just think that you know there are some some great moments in there where you know he and Ramona are talking, and even Ramona is like, "Hey, I've done some terrible things," right? She she's not some you know, perfect maiden waiting to be saved, right? Like she's got her own baggage. She's got her own thing she's working through. Um, yeah. And so it's just about two people who are imperfect, um, trying to be perfect for each other. Uh, and I just think that's it's well a beautiful said. story. Yeah, I think that's it, it really is just a metaphor about how we really, it's really all about relationships. And, and we, we are combo keepers and we just talked about Scott Pilgrim and stuff. One, two, three, four. Jumping and shooting. Jumping and shooting. Jump and shoot, man. Jump and shoot, man.